said, they're, they're meeting over there, so if you're wanting to come to Sunday school, uh, we do have that. But before we go uh, full bore, uh, just uh, enough people said they just weren't comfortable, so um, we'll uh, postpone for a little bit. Philippians chapter 3. I want to speak to you this morning uh, on four keys to kingdom living. Uh, the third chapter of Philippians uh, is Really one of the great chapters of the Bible, to be honest with you. Not just one of the great chapters uh, in the book of Philippians, but it is one of uh, the great chapters uh, in the entire uh, Bible. It's one that uh, really uh, we ought to go back to fairly often uh, and look at and be reminded uh, of uh, what uh, Paul says. It is uh, a chapter that uh, includes uh, Paul's testimony, uh, his personal experience, as his, uh, again, from, uh, from his point of view. Uh, he tells us uh, some of the uh, guiding principles uh, that governed his life uh, as he uh, went about uh, his ministry. Uh, and if you were to assign a thing to the whole chapter, uh, it is uh, perseverance. Uh, it is uh, continuing to serve uh, as a Christian, continuing to live a godly life uh, in spite of fill in the blank. Uh, and so it's a, it's a great chapter. Again, probably what I would say it's one of the most important, uh, again, in all of Scripture uh, that, uh, again, needs uh, a great deal. Uh, of attention. And so he's going to start, again, he's writing to the Philippians, uh, and, and again, I remind you, uh, you can never forget, Paul was writing this from prison uh, when he said these words. Uh, and when he's talking about persevere, when he's talking about continuing in the faith, not giving up, uh, Paul wasn't sitting uh, in some, you know, cushy palace uh, talking about how easy it is to live for the Lord. Uh, Paul was in prison, uh, and again, uh, in an ancient prison, not a, uh, some of the modern facilities that they have, but Paul uh, was, uh, Paul, Paul's life was very well uh, in danger, and uh, he is writing about continuing uh, to serve God, about how uh, to serve God. Many people in Paul's shoes would have said, I quit. Uh, you know, I, I've went all over Asia uh, starting churches and preaching the gospel, and this is where I end up. Uh, and you know, to some extent, probably all of us uh, have felt that way. At, uh, at some point, that uh, circumstances became uh, overwhelming, and we began to think, you know, well, I've tried to live right, I've tried to do, uh, you know, good things, I've tried to live for the Lord, and, uh, and yet here I am in this situation. And, uh, but Paul shows us, uh, again, he, not just, he doesn't just tell us to persevere, uh, to continue serving God no matter what, he actually was doing it. Uh, he actually was living it. Uh, and so, uh, you know, no, nothing worse uh, than a fat doctor telling you to go on a diet. Uh, and Paul uh, was not in that situation. When Paul said persevere, uh, he, he knew what it meant. He had been persevering. And so uh, he starts out this chapter uh, with, uh, with the word uh, that uh, preachers have been picked on about this for years. Paul starts out uh, this, uh, this 
chapter by saying, finally. And, uh, you know, you've heard, uh, you've heard preachers do that over the years, and finally, and then preach for another hour. Uh, you know, uh, and Paul, you know, a lot of people have kind of uh, laughed about Paul here saying, finally, uh, and then there's two more chapters to the book. Well, the word finally there to start with uh, means a little bit different. Uh, it was more uh, kind of like a conjunction. Uh, that was used uh, in, in that time. And uh, what Paul was saying is he said, finally, it was, uh, again, he really wasn't saying I'm done, uh, you know, obviously, because, again, he's going to write uh, two more chapters here. Uh, he wasn't saying that, uh, but it was really a word that they would use uh, in uh, the Greek language to introduce a new point. Uh, it, it was uh, almost as, uh, as if Paul was saying, uh, well then. Uh, you know, based on what I said in the first two chapters, well then, my brothers rejoice. Uh, well then, you should rejoice. Not, I'm quitting rejoice, uh, but because of all we have already talked about, uh, what I've already written to you, based on that, now, he says, uh, you should uh, rejoice. And so, uh, we see, first of all, uh, talking about keys to kingdom living. Uh, and, and here, I really believe, is the, the foundation Principle. Uh, Again, it's interesting. uh, As you stop and think about that for a moment, uh, it's interesting to think uh, that Paul, uh, of all the things he could have said to the Philippian church, of all the things he could have written to a New Testament church in that time uh, when the church was under uh, such persecution uh, and threat from, uh, from the Jews, from Rome, uh, all kinds of threats, uh, that the first thing that Paul says to them is rejoice. Uh, that he reminds them, he doesn't say study harder, pray more, uh, you know, go to church more often, uh, you know, preach longer and louder, none of those things. The first thing that he says is rejoice. Uh, and this is actually probably, a, and when you see the, uh, when we look at these four things that Paul is going to talk about, all four of them are a little bit interesting from that uh, perspective. From a man in prison uh, writing to people uh, who very well could end up in prison uh, or dead for their faith, and Paul writes to them and says, rejoice. All four of these things are, uh, are probably not exactly uh, what we would have expected uh, them to be. And so you see this attitude that Paul uh, delivers. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Now that word rejoice uh, is, uh, is an interesting word uh, when we think about it. It, uh, it means it's not just a feeling, but an expression. And I think that's important to understand uh, that it's uh, uh, also an expression. Uh, it's not just, uh, you know, uh, are, you, uh, are you happy, but does it show? Uh, are, not just are you rejoicing, but does others uh, know that? Can they see the uh, rejoicing uh, in our life? It, it, and the other understanding of that word is that it's, one, it's, a, it's a feeling that one chooses. We choose to rejoice. Obviously, Paul says, finally, my brothers rejoice. If he had to tell them to rejoice, that means we don't, that you don't have to. And so Paul was saying, you've got a choice to make. You can rejoice in the Lord, 
you can rejoice or you can, or you can refuse uh, to uh, rejoice. And the, and the reason I think that uh, Paul places this first on the list, yeah, I, 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 I almost can guarantee you that if I would have given you a piece of paper and said to you, give me what you think are the four most important things in living for the Lord. That I, I don't know that rejoicing would have been on the list. I mean, it may have showed up on a few lists here and there. But I don't think it would have been. I, I think it would have probably been things like go to church, pray, study the Bible, you know, those kind of things. Uh, th- those would have been the things that most of us would have put on our list. But Paul says, first, rejoice. Why? Why is that? And as I think about that and try to understand why, again, I'm the same way. Listen, let me say this. Let me just uh, in full confession tell you that I don't think I would have put rejoice on my list either. Uh, you know, had I not already read this passage. You know, I, I'm sure I would have put pray, go to church, uh, read your Bible, and I'd have to think for a while on number four. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure, uh, you know, if, if I did get rejoice, it would have been number four because I couldn't think of nothing else. Okay, I'm being honest. Most of you wouldn't have put, but why would Paul, uh, the first thing he says to uh, a man in prison, says to people who could very well end up in prison, uh, is to them to rejoice. Is because... I believe if you study Scripture and you think about the times in your life when you were rejoicing, rejoicing puts us into the presence of Christ. Rejoicing puts us in a place where we can hear from God more clearly. Rejoicing opens up our heart and mind to hear from heaven. Rejoicing. It is transformational uh, what it could do. Uh, you know, there are all kinds of medical studies now uh, that show the danger, uh, the health dangers of bitterness, uh, of unforgiveness. Again, uh, one one psychiatrist, psychologist, whatever, uh, I remember reading, said that he believed that roughly 80% of those being held in mental institutions could be released if they would forgive. I don't know if that's accurate or not, but I know that unforgiveness and bitterness and hatred, I love what uh, I heard James Merritt say about bitterness. He said, bitterness is the only thing in the world that does more damage to the vessel it's stored in than to the thing it's poured on. How many have ever been mad at somebody and they didn't even know it? You know, you walking around all tore up and mad and they don't even know it. Rejoicing puts us into a place where we can hear from God. It puts us into a place where we can... Uh, where we can uh, sense the leadership and the presence of God. It, it, it puts us there. It keeps us there. We, we can't underestimate this attitude uh, of, of rejoicing, uh, of being thankful and grateful uh, for, uh, for the things of God, for His salvation, for His blessings. Listen, I understand and I know 
that we can all, uh, we can look around and we can find plenty of things uh, to be bitter about. We can find plenty of things to complain about. There, there are plenty of things to be angry about. But Paul says, rejoice from the prison cell. No terrible, no matter how terrible the trial, no matter how bad the circumstance, he knows he is being looked at, looked after, taken care of by Jesus Christ. Paul knows from experience that he was not in that jail cell alone. That he was there and that God himself was taking care of him. That God himself was there. He knew uh, and understood that the presence of God uh, was in that room. Paul knew what he would later write or previously have already written. He said, "What nothing can separate me from the love of God. Prison cell, prison bars, prison guards. He says, nothing can separate me from the love of God. If there has ever been a time in, a, in our lifetime, there, there certainly have been some bad times in, in history, but I would say if there's ever been a time in, in, in the life of the church and in, the life, uh, in our life, that there's ever been a time where we need to hear that word, it's today. Rejoice, brothers. He doesn't say think about rejoicing, consider rejoicing. He demands of them that their attitude be one uh, of rejoicing. Paul knows that you know, the prison cell can't defeat him. What does he say to Timothy later? He says to Timothy, if I die, I gain. I win. You know, if I die, I win. What an attitude. That's the attitude that Paul is demanding of the followers of Christ. And without that attitude, then everything else that Paul writes about, I think is basically impossible. It is basically unachievable if we don't rejoice. Listen, think about it. We're not going to be witnesses. We're not going to be evangelists if we don't rejoice. We're certainly not going to be very effective evangelists anyway. Yeah. Hey, you ever thought about accepting Jesus? He's pretty good. Yeah. You ought to try it sometime. Yeah. Think about it. Yeah. Even if you are a witness, you're not going to be very effective. Yeah. You ever see, I, I've talked about this before, you see people stand up to sing. Oh, how I love Jesus. Because they got a you know, ingrown toenail. Listen, rejoicing, Paul says, is the foundation and the, and, and the basis for everything. That we, that we do as believers, that it's uh, what keeps, it's kind of the gasoline that keeps the motor running. That we rejoice uh, in the Lord. Uh, it's also, he's going to talk in a minute about false teaching, about dogs in the church, and 
I, I believe the reason he puts rejoicing before, listen, if I was to ask you this morning again, which one is more important, avoiding false teaching or rejoicing? I think most of us would say avoiding false teaching. I think what Paul is saying is if we rejoice, we will avoid false teaching. Because when we're rejoicing and we're focusing on God, when we're focusing on Him and focusing on all that He has done, we again are in tune with Him and false teaching stands out and we recognize it and avoid it. And so Paul's going to talk about false teaching. But again, he says, first of all, that we must learn to rejoice in all circumstances, in all situations, that we rejoice in what God has done. Listen, when the trials of life or false teaching, any of those things come along, Paul says rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. Listen, when a person, when you rejoice, when, when you when a person is rejoicing, think about this. I mean, it's just common sense. I, I didn't reinvent the wheel here. When you are rejoicing, you must focus on God. I mean, there's no other way to rejoice without focusing on God. You know, you, you can't be focusing on your problems. You can't be focusing on your bills. You can't be focusing on all the things that are wrong with the world. To rejoice, you must focus on God. Well, when you focus on God, again, the trials, the false teaching, all those other things uh, come along. You know, our mind is a powerful thing. And some people may be a little better at it than others, but... Generally speaking, the human mind can't really put its focus on but one thing at a time. I mean, really, in the, you, know, you, you may be sitting here this morning kind of bouncing around some thoughts and kind of half listening to me and kind of half thinking about what's for lunch and half thinking about going back to work tomorrow. And, now, that'd be thirds, wouldn't it? Uh, you, know, you, you know, you can't, your mind's kind of about, but my, that, actually, you say, well, I can think about three or four things at a time. No, you can't. You may think about three or four things at a time, but you can't focus on but one. You know as well as I do. You say, well, I can drive and text. Well, keep it up. Keep it up. You probably can for a while, but you know as well as I do, you are not as attuned to the road or the text if, if you're doing both at the same time. If you're trying to drive and text, I'll guarantee you, you have texted something you didn't mean to text. You've misspelled words, you've messed up the text, or you hit a tree. Yeah, one or two. You, you, I said, we make them think, but to focus on, you know you're not as focused on the road when you're texting or swatting at the kids in the back seat. You know, you know you're not. We can only focus on one. And when we focus on God, those trials and everything else are put into place. And so Paul says, first of all, there is an attitude that he desires. Secondly, Paul says, there's an acknowledgement that he desires. Look what he says at the end of verse 1. He says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, is what he's saying. And it's safe for you. So it's, it's good for you. 
that I write these things again. It's good for you that I tell you these things once more. And so he's got to hear uh, something, uh, an acceptance, uh, an acknowledgement that he wants us to desire. Look what he says. He says, I'm going to repeat some things to you. It's not a problem for me to say them again. I'm going to say them again. I'm going to repeat what I've already told you. And so what Paul is saying is, it's important that you obey the Word. It's not a problem for me to repeat it. I would rather repeat it than you be disobedient. I would rather say it again than you miss it. Because being obedient to the Word of God is important. I'd rather, listen, I've got a lot of new stuff I could say to you, but I'd rather you get this right. Folks, can I submit to you that I think one of the, one of the issues in the church in 2021 is that we don't have a genuine love for the Word of God. We don't have a genuine love for the Word of God. Caleb, you're going to have to change the screen. I can't change it anymore for some reason. We're going to, but we don't have that genuine love. Paul says, listen, I'll write it again and again and again if I have to. Because it's important that you understand and accept the Word of God. Kingdom living. It's based on the Word of God. If we're going to have a strong walk with the Lord, if we're going to have a strong spiritual life, I can't tell you how many times I've, over the years I've had people ask me about God, talk, want to talk about God's will, what God wants, and how God wants them to live. And I've asked them, have you been reading your Bible? Well, no. Hmm, maybe we've already found the problem. I've kind of more or less adopted a kind of a not hard, fast policy, but in particular people who are not in the church, if they call up or come by wanting counseling of some kind, I say, you know what? You come to church for two weeks in a row, and then we'll talk. Because, you know, you might just find, if you, know, if, if, if you hadn't been in church, if you hadn't heard the word preached, you might find, there's the answer. You might save me and you both a bunch of trouble. Paul says, I'd rather repeat it to you, and you get it, than you miss what I've got to say. Then you miss hearing from God. Listen, Paul says, I've already told you this once. Obviously, he's wrote these things before. And he says, but, but I, I, you've got to be obedient to these words. I, I, I like, um, uh, I, I think it was Moody that years ago was preaching revival and all week long, uh, every night he preached on John 3.16. And somebody asked him, he said, when are you going to change text? He says, when you get this one right. Yeah, you know, you know, when, when you get this one right. Listen, 
What Paul is saying to us here is it's important for us to understand the Word of God. I mean, you know, most of us learned as children what? When all else fails, read the... Seriously? When all else fails, read the... Instructions. I still remember a school teacher in elementary school who told me, who told the class one time, why in the world do we wait till everything else fails to read the directions? Why not read the directions to start with before it fails? It's important for kingdom living to acknowledge the importance of the Word of God. Third thing that Paul lists here, and again, it's interesting to me that he lists this third, that he, that he puts this down the list. In verse 2 he says, Look out for the dogs, the evildoers. And then what he says there is, Look out for those that, that mutilate the flesh. He's talking about uh, three different categories here uh, of people of false teaching. Of those, and, and here's why it's important to know the Word of God. If you don't know the Word of God, you don't know false teaching when it hits you between the eyes. If you don't know the truth, you don't know, the, you don't know what's wrong. You've know, you, you got to know what's right to know what's wrong. And so Paul says, first of all, I'm going to tell you the truth again. Then I want you to watch out for the dogs, the evildoers, and the mutilators. Let's talk about those three groups for a minute. Paul throws, uh, again, the false teachers. He puts them all here in one of three categories. He says, first of all, he says this group, they act like dogs. Now, you know, for most of us today, uh, you know, I, I don't know, some of you might be cat people, but, uh, you know, we'll forgive you uh, and, and hope you come to your senses. Uh, you know, but, you know, a dog, you know, there's a certain, you know, image of a dog. That's, take that out of your head. That's not what Paul was talking about. Paul wasn't talking about the friendly little, you know, chase the ball, sit in your lap, you know, uh, run while you tail when you come in from work. No, that's, that's not the same dog. What this dog meant, this was a word the Jews and the Gentiles both used it as an insult back and forth. They called each other dogs. That was you know, how they would, they would use as an insult. And what they were talking about was not the house pet that you and I know. They were talking about the wild, vicious dogs that ran around outside the city that if you didn't pay attention to, if you didn't keep your eye on, would attack your flock or your children. You know, that's the dogs that Paul is talking about. He's talking about the wild and vicious uh, dogs that ran around the city. Uh, again, what a great image of false teachers. What, what, a, what a great image of those who pervert the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, uh, of those who run around the edge, the fringe, and just wait for an opportunity to attack. Just wait for an opportunity uh, to jump in and, and do damage. Beware uh, of the, the, the dogs, the, the scavengers. There, there are, listen, let me tell you something. There are people in the church. I'm not, I'm not saying this church. 
I'm saying the church. There are people in the church who call themselves Christians, in all likelihood or probability, are at church every time the doors are open. Because heaven knows they wouldn't want to miss anything. Not because they care anything about serving God. But there might be something that's said or done that they can use for their advantage. They're dogs. They're just waiting on a sign of weakness. They're just waiting for the opportunity to spread division and discouragement in the church. Just waiting. You know, I, I heard, and I can't think of his name now, he's a Christian comedian. And I, I think I've told you this before, y'all may have heard it. He said, you know, people ask him all the time, said, were you like the, uh, the, the high school, the class clown? He said, oh, no, no, no. He says, I wasn't the one who ran across the football field, you know, naked at halftime. He said, I was the one who put him up to it. You know, that, that's the dogs here. You know, they're the ones who are just looking around for something to chew on, spread a little gossip, spread a little lie, spread a little bit of confusion. They're, typically, when I think of the word dog here, and I think of what Paul's describing, I, I don't think of the ones who walk up and say, Hey, Melissa, you know, Tommy, he's a no good, you know, la, 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 la. He, they're the kind who walk up and say, have you heard? Or, or here's a good one. Pray for Brother Tommy. You know, he's filling the blank. That's a dog right there. That's a no-count dog. That just, hey, Paul says, be on guard of that. The dogs, the evildoers. He moves on a little notch, and he says, the, the false teachers, the evildoers. Listen, these are the people that are just evil. I mean, it's in the name, evildoers. They are the ones who walk up and say, you know, Tommy, he's a, you know, no good. You know, that, that's, they are the ones who do that kind of They are the ones who just flat out deny uh, the truths of the Word of God. They are the ones who are just blatantly evil. Listen, and there's always going to be people who oppose Jesus Christ. And I'm not talking about necessarily always out in the world. Listen, if you've been around church any length of time, you have seen in churches where God started working and God started moving and things started happening and there was one, two, or a group who came against it uh, just full force. Paul says we've got to watch out for those kind. Recognize them for what they are. That they, uh, they, they, you know, they, they, they're, they're basically wolves in sheep clothing. They're, they're dogs. They're evil teachers. They, they false teachers. And then finally, this group that he talks about the, the decision, the, the mutilating of the flesh. This was a group of people in Paul's days who taught the people, who taught was trying to teach the church that. 
Jesus Christ alone was not enough for salvation. That you also had to bring in the Old Testament practice of circumcision. And that if you, if you weren't circumcised, you weren't really a believer. That was, that was what they taught. Now, the danger of that is, is that it's introducing works of any kind to salvation. The Bible says that salvation is by grace. It's not of works of any kind. And so Paul says you beware of anybody who tries to label you, hang you, uh, give you the additional burden of you got to do this to be saved. Let me tell you kind of the way I see it show up a lot of times today. Because... And I, I'm just going to make some things up here that are not necessary, just, but you'll get the general idea. Because you don't sing in the choir like us, you're not right with God. Because you don't do this, because you don't do that, because you don't do this, because you do this, you must not really be saved. That's the way it sounds today. We begin to try to add works. Listen, what Paul is warning us, and, and here's the danger for the church. When you start hearing that kind of garbage and start allowing that to influence you, then it's almost impossible to rejoice because now you're thinking, i got to work to keep my salvation. i got to work to get my salvation. And so Paul says, we have to ignore that. Don't allow somebody to hang works into your salvation of any kind. He says, if you're going to have kingdom living, where you're living enjoying your walk with the Lord, where you're living where God wants you to be, he says, you've got to accept salvation as a free gift. He said, otherwise you're going to be miserable. Yeah, well, one of the most heartbreaking things I, I, I hear, and some of you have probably heard it too, is if you mention to someone, are you a Christian, are you going to heaven? And they look at you and say, I hope so. Oh, that's heartbreaking. How do you lay your head down tonight at sleep with, with hoping so? How do you get behind the wheel of a car and hurdle yourself down the road at 65, 70 miles an hour around a bunch of clowns who are at 80 and 90 miles an hour and hope so? Which leads us to our fourth point. Paul says, finally, in this last section, there's an awareness described. He says, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Listen, what had happened, these Jewish Christians, again, were being influenced that, or influencing people, telling people you have to be circumcised to be a believer. can't be saved otherwise. The Jews had lost that original understanding of, 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 the, of the ritual uh, of circumcision. It had become uh, a symbol to them more than anything. And 
Paul says, no, no. He says, what you need to understand for kingdom living is you need to get clear in your head one thing. I am a child of God. I am a child of God. You are the circumcision, he says. You are a child of God. If you're going to have kingdom living where you're able to rejoice. Now, as I thought about these four things, they just kind of, they're, they're like a, a, a record that you, you know, just keeps playing. I'm going to date myself. How many of you remember eight-track tapes? Yeah. Track one, track two, track three, track four. When it got to the end of track four, what did it do? Back to track one, start it over. And it'd play that. You know, as long as you left it stuck in the machine, it'd play over and over and over and keep playing. Always the best song on the whole tape. with click right in the middle of it. Yeah. These four things Paul says are like an old eight-track tape. You rejoice. You rejoice. Study His Word. Know His Word. When you know His Word, you can reject false teaching. When you reject false teaching, you can say, I am a child of God. And that ought to make you rejoice a little bit more. And you rejoice a little bit more, and you want to study His Word a little bit more to find something new to rejoice about. And then you're better able to defend against false teaching. And then you're even more sure that you're a child of God. Kingdom living. It's walking... Let me, defi- let, let, me, let me define kingdom living. It's walking where and how, walking spiritually where and how God wants you to walk. It's enjoying those things that God talks about in His Word. I want you to have life and life abundant. Peace that passes all understanding, that your joy may be full. It's those things. It's living those things, practicing those things, having those things evident in your life. And these are the four keys. Begins with rejoicing, studying His Word, rejecting false teachers, and getting settled once and for all. Once and for all, I am a child of God. I mentioned counseling a moment ago. I would say probably one of the number one issues I've dealt with in 30-some years of ministry is people sitting down in front of me and saying, I thought I got saved when I was younger, but I just don't know. And they are some of the most miserable, defeated, discouraged, depressed people I have ever met. I don't know if I really am saved. Paul says, 
We're going to have kingdom living. We get that square. We get that square. I want to ask you to bow your heads this morning. As our musicians come. If you're here this morning, if you're watching online, and you can't say without a doubt, with 100% certainty, I know I am a child of God. I know I've been saved. If you're in this room, would you come? If you're online, email, call, text, reach out in some way, some, some form. Because the Word of God says it, John says it in his Gospels, I write these things that you may know. You don't have to go another moment saying, I hope I'm saved, I hope I'm going to heaven. You can know. Maybe you're here this morning, you're in that boat, you're struggling. You're not sure. You have doubt. You have fear about your salvation. Would you come? Let me show you from God's Word how you can be saved or how you can know you're saved. If you're here today and you say, I want to live like God wants me to live. I want to, these four keys, these four things that Paul writes about, I want them to be present in my life. Father, we thank you today for your Word. God, we ask you to take it and to use it this morning to transform lives. God, that Christians would be victorious. That they would be able to rejoice. They'd be able to spot a false teacher. That they'd love your word. Most of all, that they'd have confidence in their salvation and their walk with you. God, help us. God, if there's one today listening uh, doesn't know you personally, God, today you'd stir their heart and they'd come to know Jesus Christ.